G'day, Annie McLaughlin here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news, workers' stories and social justice issues. This program is produced in the Melbourne studios of 3CR on the stolen lands of the Kulin Nation and we pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Stick Together is made possible through the financial support of the Community Radio Foundation and we come to you on the Community Radio Network through your local community radio station. In today's program, we look at government policy when it comes to unemployed with the push to extend the cashless welfare card and do drug testing of New Start recipients under the age of 35, despite there being no scientific evidence that unemployment is related to drug and alcohol addiction or that the cashless welfare card is a cure for either. So why is the government so in love with the cashless welfare card? We ask Simone Casey from the Australian Unemployed Workers Union for an insight. We follow this with a look at inequality and some of the structural inequalities that affect workers internationally and locally. But first, some union news. Deliveroo riders in Geelong, a regional city in Victoria, went on strike for a second time last month to stop their rate of pay slipping from $10 per delivery to $6 a delivery. They are asking to raise the pay rate to at least $10 per job, $15 for doubles or $20 per hour, be paid waiting time at restaurants while food is prepared and they want to know how much they are being paid and how it's been calculated. There should be a simple formula, they say, that is easy to understand, not a vague algorithm that even Deliveroo management struggled to explain. A representative of the group said, We and many other riders have tried to talk to Deliveroo and only get an automated response. We can't negotiate with an algorithm. Our hours, daily and weekly earnings are lower than they've ever been before, even though we've been doing the same job the whole time. Riders used to be paid $18.50 an hour and now we're not paid an hourly rate at all. Deliveries can be as low as $6 or less despite Deliveroo promising they wouldn't go below $8 per delivery. There's no transparency and no ability to say no to changes in our wages. We just notice it going down through the app. We work in the cold conditions during winter. We work really hard for peanuts. We are demanding Deliveroo raise our rates of pay and lock them in. The group are being supported by the Young Workers Centre and the TWU, the Transport Workers Union. To join their campaign, go to megaphone.org.au and type in Deliveroo, raise the rate. Still in Victoria, OI Glass has been in dispute with its electricians and maintenance workers covered by the ETU and the AMWU, the Australian Manufacturing Workers Union, since March and has just decided to ignore negotiations and strike out the EBA. An organiser has said this on September the 13th. If you want a dispute that exemplifies the problems with wages in Australia, look no further than the OI Glass dispute in Victoria. Our workers have seen less than 1% increase in comparison with CPI in the last seven years. They, like many other workers in Australia, work for a huge multinational company that profit shifts so they pay no income tax in Australia. We know they have the capacity to pay, but they just won't even, though the CEO is on about $11 million a year. 
Now, today, in bargaining, they have threatened to terminate the agreement that covers 50 electricians and fitters, sending them back to award wages. It's disgusting to think 30 years of hard industrial struggle can be erased with the stroke of a pen. It's industrial blackmail. The workforce is determined not to be screwed. Please jump on the ETU Facebook Victorian page and show your support. In New South Wales, Beegar cheese workers have endorsed industrial action this week over a pay dispute at the company's Beegar factory. The company's Australian Meat Industry Employees Union members will strike on Friday, with other workers reportedly set to strike early next week after the company refused to offer pay rises above 2.5% on Tuesday. The AMWU, the Australian Manufacturing Workers Union New South Wales Secretary Patricia Fernandez, said that strike action will be the first workers' strike in the company's history. Workers have bargained in good faith and are making reasonable demands at the table, she said. They have made the historic decision to take action because Bigger Cheese refuses to give them a fair pay rise. Workers at the facility are represented by the AMIEU, the Australian Meat Industries Employees Union, the Australian Manufacturing Workers Union, the AMWU, and the Electrical Trades Union, the ETU, and further industrial action is planned. All unions are united in the fight for a better deal for Bigger and will continue to campaign until workers get the respect they deserve, ETU State Secretary Justin Page said. In Queensland, Australian authorities have detained a second vessel at a Queensland port after crew members reported being owed more than $100,000 in unpaid wages, highlighting the rampant exploitation of foreign seafarers transporting goods to and from Australia. The Hong Kong-flagged bulk carrier, owned by Chinese company Ocean Prosperity and managed by Dalian Shipping, was delivering clinker a material used in the manufacture of cement, to the port of Brisbane. The vessel is the second to be detained by Australian Maritime Safety Authority during the past week after the Panama-flagged MV Fortune Genius was held at the port of Gladstone last week following an inspection by the International Transport Workers Federation that found fraudulent documentation including two sets of books used to conceal wage theft. The issue of Growing inequality in Australia has uh, been given a new perspective with academics ringing alarm bells over reports from Australian public institutions downplaying the growing inequality in Australia. First it was the Bureau of Statistics which produced a notoriously bland press release headed Inequality Stable since 2013-14 to 14, when the analysis within the document showed a significant increase in wealth inequality since 2011-12. That wealth inequality was at its peak since it was first measured and that there has been a significant downward change in the wealth share of, of the bottom fifth of the Australian households. Christopher Shield from UNSW and Frank Stilwell from the University of Sydney drew attention to it in the conversation and then went on to suggest that the Productivity Commission might have also been downplaying the growth in wealth inequality by producing its own bespoke measure at odds with others. This is what Professor Stilwell had to say at the launch of his new book, The Political Economy of Inequality. Certainly since uh, Thomas Piketty, the French political economist, wrote his best-selling book on 
Capital in the 21st Century, now six years ago, that, that was published. A wealth of information. Piketty and his colleagues produce an annual world inequality report. Here in Australia, we've got masses of data, albeit some controversies about that data. I've just published a couple of articles together with Chris Shield from the Ebert Foundation, challenging the way in which the ABS has presented the latest information on wealth statistics. Uh, and also challenging the Productivity Commission because of what, or not to mince words, looks like a concocted uh, set of estimates that are quite inconsistent with other estimates about the degree of inequality of wealth in Australia. And uh, though Chris and I don't make direct allegations about political interference in our esteemed uh, public agencies, the Australian Bureau of Statistics and the Productivity Commission, one can't escape the uneasy feeling that even the information that's being presented and the way in which it's being presented embodies a political agenda. At the very least, a wish not to embarrass the incumbent government. always the money for missiles and tanks There's always the money for generals and banks There's always the money for new ways to kill But a limited budget for you if you're ill You're listening to Stick Together, Workers' Stories, Union News, Social Justice Issues The music we are listening to is from Rob Johnson a song called More Than Enough, and it's sung by Roy Bailey. And it's a perfect accompaniment to uh, shine a light on the federal government's legislation making its way into Parliament to extend the cashless welfare card from Seduna in South Australia, Bundaberg and Hervey Bay in Queensland and the East Kimberley to Northern Territory and then Cape York before it takes it right across Australia. The LMPs... Running Mates, the National Party, recently took the ideas to its National Federal Council, saying the reason it was a good idea was because it was to reduce social harm caused by welfare fueled alcohol and drug abuse. This statement is not supported by research and on-the-ground experience. In fact, the government's research giving a gold star to the cashless welfare card social success could be accused of being trying to fit a fat foot into a size 4 shoe. I spoke to Simone Casey, Policy Officer from the Australian Unemployed Workers' Union, for a perspective on the LMP federal government's legislation. Can you tell us about uh, why this LMP government is so interested in extending the cashless welfare card? Well, actually, it's a good question because there's no evidence that it actually works. So it seems to be part of an agenda to do two things, which is basically to automate as many welfare transactions as they can, which in the long run saves the government money. But the second main reason is to be able to conduct social surveillance more effectively and at arm's length from what people are doing. So it's a kind of measure to increase the levels of social control that are administered through the welfare system. 
there's a certain uh, that that business about uh, drug testing is also a backdoor to DNA collection, I presume. Well, absolutely. Um, the drug testing is an, another level of surveillance and uh, into people's civil liberties, and it's really questionable about whether that kind of initiative is actually going to target the people who would benefit from that kind of intervention. It's more than likely those people will be driven further away from seeking support and further marginalised rather than getting any um, drug treatment support. So it's another way of distancing people from support and creating further divisions between um, people who are participating economically and those who are not. Now, there's a, um, the National uh, Party Federal Council uh, brought to their members the idea that they wanted to extend the cashless welfare card for 35s and under. And the reason that they were giving to their members was to reduce, and this is in inverted commas, to reduce social harm caused by welfare fueled alcohol and drug abuse. Now, the a trial in Seduna uh, has shown actually it has had absolutely no effect on the uh, use of uh, drug and uh, alcohol. It's correct, isn't it? Yeah, that's absolutely right. Any evaluation of these, uh, independent evaluation of these initiatives shows actually no benefit in terms of the stated goals of the intervention. Uh, rather, it does the other things that I talked about, which is uh, increases the levels of automation and it increases the level of surveillance. And also separates people from the community. Yeah, I mean, I've, I know a little bit, I've heard a little bit about the, the Duna. I mean, the thing is, is that people lose all kinds of choice, in ter- especially in regions where there's not a lot of um, infrastructure to support the cashless welfare cards in um, a lot of the um, retail sort of system. So that people are kind of forced uh, to to spend their money in the monopoly type organisations. Um, so you know any level of autonomy that people are aiming for in those communities is completely eroded by not having choice over what they can buy and where they can buy it from. And it also impacts on those small local economies like uh, markets and um, secondhand stores where um, people can't don't have the infrastructure to um, accept the welfare cards as payment. So we've already established that um, the stated aim, which is to stop people, those pesky people on Newstart using welfare payments, which are abysmally low, uh, getting alcohol or drugs, is actually spurious, that it's actually not for that reason at all because figures are showing that uh, it has no effect at all. Uh, if you look at the people who are actually going to be running the cashless uh, card, the infrastructure, it's a large company, an international company, and it's got uh, uh, fingers uh, in um, supporting the present government. Isn't that correct? Yeah, well, I, my understanding is that there's links to the company Indu to some of the um, the financial interests of some of the LNP um, politicians. Um, that's been subject of some articles that I've seen. I, I don't know that for 100% for sure, but it's the same kind of thing with any of these welfare-to-work companies. They're making a lot of money out of 
uh, implementing measures to control the behaviour of the poor. Um, and you have to wonder what the uh, ethics of that are if, if uh, rich people are profiting from the surveillance of the poor. Now, the next thing about all this is that uh, uh, they say that it, it reduces the amount of people who are on Newstart, but of course that's probably because uh, there's going to be a, a lot of people who aren't prepared to go and be tested because we know that addiction is quite a different... It's a health issue. It's not a criminal issue in, in, in effect. Yeah. And it's not even necessarily related to being unemployment, being unemployed and being on welfare. So addiction is um, a, a health issue and it needs to be treated within a health context and um, framework, not within a welfare conditionality framework where, where welfare payments are used to try and get people to adopt work-like habits or work employability behaviours. They're two completely separate issues and they should remain separate in any government policy. Some figures have just come out that show that 80% of the people who were breached in the Parents Next, is that what it's called? Yeah. It's just been shown that 80% of the people who have been breached, uh, it was all spurious. None of, none of them were actually uh, uh, fairly breached at all. So what we've got is some sort of uh, statistical uh, money-making or money-saving arrangements going on coming out of Social Security Department, it would appear. Yeah, well, it looks like, you know, 80% of people are suffering for not having done anything wrong because of the 20% who might have done something wrong. But then when the things that they might have done wrong, that 20% who didn't have a valid reason, these definitions are set up to be actually quite prohibitive in the sense that those parents' next um, uh, demerit points might have been because somebody didn't have a valid reason for not attending an appointment. And the valid reasons are a very narrow list of uh, things that the, they, the providers, parents' next providers can select from. So it might actually be reasonable. I've seen um, people reporting having had a phone stolen, um, not being able to report attendance or tell anybody they couldn't get there because obviously they didn't have a phone. Um, but they still got their demerit point because they um, having a stolen phone wasn't on the list of things that the provider could select. So could you could you uh, go far as far to say that actually the the social security system that uh, the present government's running doesn't actually fulfil its function and the duty of care, and that uh, in actual fact uh, it's being used to further their uh, Australia's movement towards a police state. I would definitely say we're moving towards becoming a um, more authoritarian state where citizens have less power to question uh, government decisions relating to their welfare. The social security net has been extremely uh, eroded by um, recent policy, especially the last 20 years. Social security payments haven't kept up with the cost of living, especially rents. So, um, you know, we're not... When moving towards a place where we're we're setting people up so that they're not supported, they're more likely to turn to crime, and they're you know our society is become, going to become a much unsafer place. And so, uh, it, it, for our listeners, maybe some of these uh, 
you know, maybe the majority of people who are listening are workers. And so they'd say, you know, oh, you know, I'm working really hard and all the rest of it. And so these people uh, are um, a convenient uh, kicking uh, dog, right? Um, that the government's actually creating this percentage of people within our community who are unemployed as someone, a group of people to be picked on effectively. Yeah, there is a phenomenon of creating um, a blame, you know, people to blame for things being wrong in society. And uh, I, I think that sort of goes in ha- hand in hand with the punitive policies, as in saying, they're all welfare cheats, they're all welfare dependents, they're all on drugs, they should just go and get a job. Um, and actually, that's not really the reality for most people who are unemployed. And most people who are unemployed I do accept that there should be reasonable con- conditions attached to their payments, as in, yeah, sure, they should um, make an effort to find a job. Exactly um, what that looks like is um, something that needs more scrutiny and debate in terms of what's a reasonable level of requirement. But introducing drug testing before people have even got payment, that's just insane. That's just creating um, too much of a barrier for people being able to access the social safety net in the first place. It's also removing people's citizens' rights and their privacy. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's supposed to be a Liberal government and people are supposed to have relative levels of choice about what they do in their lives. So things like the cashless welfare card are deeply illiberal Drug testing is deeply liberal. We would be one of the first advanced democracies to introduce these measures into the welfare system. Um, And that's a pretty frightening uh, thing to see, direction to see Australia heading in. So I I suppose the reason why I'm bringing it up is that uh, all those people who might think that they're shielded by their uh, employment uh, should probably be a little bit more alert so, for example, the cashless welfare card was apparently targeting people in Indigenous communities uh, who had a uh, an addiction problem, but in actual, or it was because they weren't looking after their children. But in actual fact, it was applied to everybody, people who didn't even have children. Yeah. Uh, then it start, instead of being just for Indigenous people, it became for the entire population of particular areas. Then they said it was just a trial, but of course, as someone pointed out in your organisation, trials have end points, uh, end dates, but of course this didn't have an end date and they had no intention. So what they're doing is uh, step by step enforcing their political view, this right-wing political view on the entire uh, country. That's absolutely right. It's kind of a creeping of policy. I'm very suspect of any trial because my experience is that every trial converts into an expansion with very little scrutiny of um, whether the trial was effective or not. The criteria by which these trials are evaluated are developed by government bureaucrats and generally serve to justify their own um, preformed decisions and judgments about what policies will work and won't work. So as soon as you see the word trial, it should send out, um, send up a red flag for everybody to be careful. And, you know, it's not um, unfeasible that all welfare payments, not just unemployment payments, but all kinds of welfare payments, including pensions, if we allow this conservatism to creep into our policy, they may all become subject to things like drug testing. Thanks for talking to us.
thanks for having us on from the Unemployed Workers Union. You're on Stick Together with any union news, worker stories, social justice issues. At the recent launch of Frank Stilwell's book, The Political Economy of Inequality, Anthea Spinks, Oxfam Program Director, gave her audience an insight to workers supplying Australian clothing industry and why workers' struggle is international. So the story I want to talk to you about is about a woman in Bangladesh whose name is Chameli. She's a working mother. She is married. She has three daughters. Uh, She works anywhere between 11, 14 hours a day, but she gets only 51 cents an hour for that work. You think that by working that amount of time, even on a, a pitiful and abhorrent wage, she should be able to make ends meet, but she can't. The family sleep in a very small, confined room, so not even a house, but they, they have a room, and that they are always in debt. And particularly because a few years ago they lost their son, so they originally had four children, they lost their son um, in, an, in a tragic accident, and ever since then they have felt the ongoing financial burden of the funeral costs, the medical costs, etc. To the extent where last year they made the heartbreaking decision to withdraw their 14-year-old daughter from school uh, so that she could start working in the same garment factory. So why can I tell you this story? Um, It's one of, as you would know, millions and billions of stories around the world, but that's because Chameli is one of um, hundreds of thousands of women that are working in factories that are supporting the Australian garment industry. We feel that that story could be one of many, and it is one of many, but it can also be very far away from us. Um, But the reality is that that story is intimate to us and closely connected to us um, because of the kind of work and the reasons that Chameli is doing that work. I wanted to bring her into this room a little bit and we have her permission to do that. We work with her and a number of other women um, in the work that we're doing at the moment around um, labour rights and um, uh, living wage and fair wages. The reason why Oxfam is so committed to looking at not just the manifestations of poverty and what do we need to do to support people who are living in poverty, but the structural inequalities that exist that create um, that poverty and retains people at that level of poverty. Because we actually know as well that even though we have been doing so much globally to lift people out of poverty. We also know that actually that's now starting to reverse in that divide between the very wealthy um, and the very poor is being exacerbated because we know that it's actually structural reasons that are causing that inequality and that poverty and so we can support the symptoms of that but there actually has to be a much deeper and broader conversation around why and what are the structural reasons if we take the lyrics of the more than enough song really to heart there is currently right now and there will always be more than enough there's always the money that's it for stick together today stick together is produced at 3cr studios in melbourne broadcast nationally on the community radio network The podcast is available at 3cr.org.au and on iTunes. You can contact the producers of the show at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com or by calling 03 9419 8377. My name's Annie McLaughlin. See you on the 20th of September in the streets for the Global Day of Climate Action. Remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there's a union for you. And until next time, stick together. 
We'll go out with Roy Bailey singing more than enough. For tunnels and roads, for opera and ballet, but what about homes? For MPs' expenses and fat subsidies, but there's never the money for nurseries, and the well off they always take more. So there's never enough for the poor. For tests they can pass Or fail you for not being white middle class There's always the goodies For those with most greed But never enough For those in most need There's a pay rise if you're on the board But there's never enough For the poor Love more, there'd be enough.